to your divine purpose, even as you are so ordained in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, praise the Lord. Okay, uh, I want to share this. I'm trusting the Lord we be able to speak to some of us from this. Very, very important. Uh, I mentioned this a few days ago, maybe Sunday service or something, and I find myself teaching the same thing again in a dream or in a vision of the night. And I just felt it was perhaps the right time to share it. So, I, at the same time, I'm a little bit confused as to what title it should be. You can call it Melchizedek Order or the Gateless. Anyone? The Gateless or Melchizedek Order. Anyone you want to call it? The Gateless, that is those who are not guilty, blameless or gateless or Melchizedek Order. Hallelujah. Okay, now, I, you turn with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12. And uh, start reading from verse number 1. Are we there? At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and the disciples were unhungered and began to blow the ears of corn and to eat. These people must have labored for so long, man. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, our disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. Leadership always receive the blame in whatever the followers do. But he said unto them, Have you not read what David did when he was unhungered and did away with him? How he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests. Following a leader guarantees you access to some of the things that you cannot ordinarily access. Are you there? Two things we have just discovered from this. Leaders receive the blame for whatever the disciples do. And disciples can assess the realm that ordinarily they don't qualify to assess. Because there is a grace of the leadership that covers them. Okay. Verse number 5. Or oh, have you not read in the law? How that on the Sabbath day as the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this minute I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you will not have condemned the guiltless. But the Son of Mine is Lord even of the Sabbath day. The good thing is, if you have known what this minute, and that you can get from Hosea 6 6, Micah as well. If you have known what this minute, 
and we have mercy and not sacrifice, you will not have condemned the guiltless. Now, you see, everything that David and the priest did were contrary to the law. Hallelujah. They were all contrary to the law. So what do we, first of all, let's pick some more things from this. I pray I can get this through. Let's pick some facts from this uh, passage. I will have mercy and no sacrifice. What is that supposed to mean to us? First, that God prefers mercy shown to the needy. That only act of religious worship that an individual may be called into at any particular time. Praise the Lord. Mercy is preferable to a religious obligation or duty in meeting the needs of those who are in need. You know what? God may have given you a religious assignment to carry out. But God expects that if there is a needy person among you, the needy and the act of doing good overrides your religious obligations. Are you following what I'm trying to say? You know, it's similar to the kind of question we asked a few Sundays ago. Remember that? Somebody ran under your bed. Huh? You remember that? Right. Now your religious mentality tells you you can't lie or something like that. But this is a man that is about to be killed. Now the man needs mercy. He needs help. Did you get it now? So if you know what this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. You will not have condemned the guiltless. Now, by implication, these guys were hungry and they ought to eat. The need for these people was they got to eat. But religious obligation says you can't because it's Sabbath. Are you listening to this? And Jesus said, no. If only you understand what it means when God said, I'll have mercy and not sacrifice. You won't blame the guiltless. Somebody says something, and I believe it so strongly. For those of us who perhaps are seeking to come into the place of sonship, wherever there is a revelation from God about a thing, there is no room for discussion over that matter anymore. Did you hear what I said? If God reveals a thing, it does not call for further debate. That is sonship. Understand what I'm trying to say. It's not the issue whether it is conventional or not conventional. If God reveals a thing, it's not subject to further discussion by any parliament. Hallelujah. 
I want you to catch it because they are very vital. I will have mercy and no sacrifice. Number two. The essence of the sacrificial system was to point only to the infinite mercy of God to the fallen man in his redemption by the blood of the new covenant. What am I trying to say? Everything that Moses put down, the sacrificial laws, the sin offering, the peace offering, all of these things we are just pointing to a particular dimension of the fulfillment of the mercies of God upon the human race that have fallen. They are all part of the work of redemption. Are you getting what I'm talking about? Fine. They were all pointing to the works of redemption. So you can't be holding on to that when the man that is actually the embodiment of that law is standing before you. And still thinking that you are doing religious obligations. Because they are all pointing to the redemptive power of Christ. Hallelujah. I want you to understand this. Number three. We should not rest in the sacrifices but look for the mercy and salvation that they point to by them. We should not be looking for understandings in our religious obligation. Because when you use the word sacrifices, you are not just talking about animal sacrifices now, in this sense. You are looking at what, because sacrifice here speaks about religious duties now. Do you understand that? Fine. Whatever religious duties you are carrying out or you ought to carry out or you think you must carry out must answer to the mercy and the salvation that they reflect. Because the goal of Christ and whatever you call Christianity is the redemption and the salvation of the fallen man. Hallelujah. Are you following what I'm talking about? So, you, you want to carry out religious duties. You want, whatever thing you want to do, it must be the thing that draws men unto Christ. It must be the thing that points Christ out. It must be the thing that shows the masses to those who are falling in one state of confusion or the other. Mercy rules supreme as opposed to religious obligations at any point in time. So you study the life of Jesus and see how he was walking along people, I mean amongst people, see the kind of things he was doing. What was he doing? The things that he was doing. It was a revelation of the mercy of God to the fallen race of mankind. Hallelujah. So, here God is trying to say, I prefer mercy to what? The sacrifices. I prefer religious duties, religious obligations. You can see somebody dying, and you just, you know, I don't know. You no. Can you see this? Uh, the man that was taken on the road, the Good Samaritan. We used to call that. Remember that? How many people passed? The high priest passed. The Levite passed. Remember that? Those were religious people. And could you even believe that one of the things why they may not even be able to touch that because even the priest. Part of the law says you don't have to touch a dead corpse. So they don't even know if this man is dead. <laughs> so religions made them become blind to the needy. Because if they have to touch a dead corpse, it means they have to go and make some sacrifices to clean on themselves. Is that okay? Come on, am I talking to someone? Okay. So understand this. It's very vital that we understand some of the things we are doing as believers. And to know where we are within the body of Christ, the framework of God's redemptive plans. 
Maybe next week I'm going to talk to you about the three stages of the plans of God in terms of redemption in creation. So that you can know where the church is, you can know where we are, what we should be expecting. Hallelujah. Are you following? Okay. So, think about it. Very important. Mercy here means benevolence or kindness towards others. Sacrifices were offered, made offerings made to God on account of sin or as an expression of thanksgiving. You should know the difference. Is that okay? So, you sin and you bring a good sin offering. Is that okay? You're happy, you come to reconciliation, peace offering. You do all of these things, these are the sacrifices. God is saying, I'm not just interested in all of these things. I want you to show benevolence to one another. I want you to reveal kindness. I want you to show the bile of mercy to one another. And I prefer that to all of these animals you are slaughtering. In fact, I'm getting tired of blood. Because you could do all of that and close your eyes to your brother who is in need. Are you there? Okay. Now you can write down if you will. Mark Micah chapter 6 verse number 6. Micah chapter 6 verse number 6. And uh, read to verse number 8. And the Bible says, Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or within thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn to my transgressions or for my transgressions? The fruit of my body for the sins of my soul? He has shown the old man what is good. Verse number 8. And what does the Lord require of thee? But to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. That's all. What is God talking to us about? What is God showing us? He said, I have shown thee, O man, what is good. So what is good? Say so what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That is all. True religion. Not how many animals you slaughter, not how many sacrifices, no one. You know, you, you can do so many things, but the Lord is just simply trying to show that God has shown you, man, what God wants, what is good. So, now we can understand why would the Bible say also Jesus went about doing good. So, what was he doing? He was doing justly, he loved mercy, and he walked humbly with his God. So, the Bible now says he went about doing good. Did you get that? Love mercy. Show mercy to those who are in need. Be kind. Be merciful. Be loving. God preferred that to all of those things. See, see the accusation they brought to him. See, can't you see that your, your servants and those who are following you, they are eating on the Sabbath day and they are hungry. Plug in the ears of God. To them it's a violation of the law. But there is something else I want to show you. This is on the moral side. If I may use the word, I'm going a little bit deep. Now, let me read this passage from the, the message translation. One Sabbath, Jesus was strolling with the disciples through a field of ripe grain. Hungry, the disciples were pulling off the heads of grain and munching on them. Some Pharisees reported them to Jesus. Your disciples are breaking the Sabbath rules. Jesus said, really? Didn't you ever read what David and his companions did when they were hungry 
how they entered the sanctuary and ate fresh bread off the altar. Bread that no one but the priests were allowed to eat. And didn't you ever read in God's law that the priests carrying out their temple duties broke or break Sabbath rules all the time? <laughs> and it's not held against them. There is a far more at stake here than religion. Hallelujah. If you have any idea what this scripture means, I prefer a flexible heart to an inflexible ritual. You wouldn't be picking holes like this. <laughs> you see, I prefer what? A flexible heart to what? An inflexible ritual. Are, are you there? I remember somebody once come to me and said, Pastor, we need laws in this church. We need rules in this church. We need to write on this. I said, what laws do you want? What laws do you want? Because you see, once you bind yourself by certain rules, you are finished. You are just finished. What do you want to be guided by? You can be guided by the word. You can be guided by the revelations that come from the spirit. Part time. Bible says, as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. God is not interested in an inflexible ritual called religion. Jesus said there is more at stake here than religion. <laughs> Hallelujah. Very important we understand this. There is more in our worship. There is more to worship. There is more to what we call being a believer or being a child of God or being a Christian. There is more to it. An inflexible heart. You see situations, you just need to seek the face of God and find out what God will have you do. Don't interpret any law there. Find out what God will have you do. God is trying to get us out of laws and some of us he want to write more laws to bind us. Becomes more dangerous, more difficult for you to operate. Hallelujah. God is more interested. By no means, I want to tell you that in an inflexible ritual called religion. It's not interested in them. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, when you say we have it, there are four ways in which positive laws may cease to obligate or to, to oblige. You know what? There are four ways by which any law that has been written can be override. Because what Jesus is speaking here is these laws you are talking about is being overridden. Are you catching what I'm talking about? For instance, like what he said, nobody say the the even the Son of Man or Jesus Himself is also a Lord of the Sabbath. It means there's an overriding of that rule which you are trying to quote. Are you catching this? Are you there? All right. Now there are four ways or four basic things that can make that happen at any point in time. For any law that I'll be reading, for another law to override that law, four basic things should feature. Number one is by the natural law of necessity. Now, you can see the natural law of necessity operating in bringing the issue of the acting president. Are you there? Hello? And, uh, come on, ladies and gentlemen, the president should have written a letter and so on and so forth. But the law of necessity 
makes it imperative for the house to mandately act. The vice president to become acted. So, the law of necessity overrides in this instant. Are you understanding what I'm trying to say? So, fine. So, now, you're a religious man. You have something you want to observe and you see somebody that is perishing. Now, your law says don't do that. But there is a necessity for this man to be saved. What will you do? Hold on to the law when the man is dying? Fine. So, the law of necessity makes it that sometimes what you call religious law cannot function as the auto function. The law of necessity naturally is there. Amen? Are you following? Okay. Okay, number two. All that already in place can be override by a superior law. Huh? When another law comes into effect that is superior to the one that was there before, the first law can no longer function as the auto function. You agree with me? Hallelujah. Now by implication, Jesus is also trying to say here, there is another law superior to the law that had been there before, which you call the law of the Sabbath. Are you there? I want you to understand. Very important. And again, catch this fact. The priest going to the temple to minister on the Sabbath, it was because of necessity. The grains that were being eaten was because there was necessity for them to eat because they were hungry. Are you getting what I'm talking about? Fine. So Jesus is trying to say there is a natural law of necessity that makes the law of the Sabbath not to be effective in these two instances. Besides, there is something superior to what you have before that is presently coming into force. And I happen to hear that regime. You see what Jesus was trying to say? Okay. Number three. By the law of charity and mercy, other laws cannot function as they ought to function. The law of charity, which is love and all, of mercy. Hallelujah. Are you following? But number four. By the dispensation and authority of the lawgiver. If a new regime comes in and there is a new lawgiver, the former law cannot function as it ought to function. Now here again, Jesus is trying to say, another regime is coming to place, a new dispensation is coming, and there is another lawgiver, which is in fact superior to the first law. So, these four basic things must be in place for the first law or whichever law that was there before not to be as effective as it should be. Now, if you understand that, you don't blame the people because, number one, David and the priest, under which law were they not functioning? Now, that's what I'm bringing you into. You were thinking they were functioning under the law of Sabbath, but the truth is, the David, which was a king, and the priest, which was supposed to be the priesthood, were now functioning under the Melchizedek order. The order of kings and priests. Right? That's where we're going to. And that's the most interesting aspect of me as far as I'm concerned. Revelation 5 verse number 10. Revelation 5 verse number 10. And the Bible says, And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Hallelujah. You got that? 
He has made us what? Kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth. Now understand the illustration of Jesus was with a king and the priest. Are you catching this now? So what is he trying to say? There is an order of kings and priests that is superior to the law of Sabbath that you are observing. Are you seeing it? Good. And that was a new order. But I'm still going to be saying something that will shock you. That was a new order. The order of priests and kings, which is the order of Melchizedek. Is that okay? Are you there? Okay. Which is the order of Melchizedek. And so, the order of Melchizedek, which is the order of priests and kings, observes, as it were, the law of necessity, the law of a superior order. Are you getting that? The law of a new dispensation and a new lawgiver. You see what I'm trying to say? Those four things were mentioned before and now functioning in the life of the prince and kings. Therefore, the old order cannot subdue them or keep them bound. Now, it comes to you in that dimension as well. That if you begin to identify with the Melchizedek order, then of course, you are moving beyond the natural order and beginning to function in that which allows the priests and the kings to walk without natural laws that are written down. Hallelujah. Now in this state, you are coming to the place where you can only be abreast of what the priest and the king's order works with. Not just what you think, but what operates in your members. Let us quickly understand this. We are not working by any natural law, but by the laws that are written within our members. Because what we call the government of God, in the true sense, and I'm going to mention that, is not just necessarily uh, putting some rules down somewhere and then getting somebody to administer the rule. No! Not at all. I'm going to mention that a little bit. But let's go on. Now, Hebrews 6, verse number 20. Hebrews 6, 20. Are we there? The Bible talks about without the foreigners for us enter. Now, that is talking about we being bold to come to the throne of grace. Is that okay? Behind the veil. Entering behind the veil. Understand that. Entering behind the veil. Verse number 19. 18, 19. Talks about entering behind the veil. Is that okay? Hello. Right. Now verse 20 now say, Without the foreigners for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of what? Melchizedek. So, he is saying the Melchizedek order is a man that operates behind the veil. Together. Now, behind the veil means to be in the presence of the Lord. Now if you go behind the veil, it's no longer the things of natural order. Outer court or middle court. Behind the veil. And the Bible said Jesus has moved in there and equates him with that of the Melchizedek order. Now, understand something I'm about to say now. We've all seen it that here the Bible says a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so we've also concluded that Melchizedek reigns forever. Am I correct? Hello. 
Now, now if Melchizedek reigns forever, let's look at something. The word forever is eon. Now, the word eon does not mean eternity. It doesn't mean time without end. Eon means simply an age. Is that okay? Now, so what is the shocking news about this? That there is an end to the Melchizedek priesthood. Because I'm going to make you see why it has to come to an end. There is an end to the Melchizedek priesthood because there is something I will make you see now. So the Bible talks about now. But remember, when you move, thank you Lord. When you move from the natural order, you enter into the Melchizedek order. Now, there is a function and there, is, there are certain things that you carry when you begin to walk as a Melchizedek person. Mercy and truth. As it were, charity, which is true love and mercy, become the functioning and operating, what will I put it? The things that really works in your life. The thing that pushes in your life. These are the things with which you see. You see with the eyes of mercy and love. Do you understand this? I'm going to show you something. Somebody say about what about a king? Fine. King have power and authority. Priests reconcile compassion, mercy, and love. Understand it. Kings have power and what? Authority. I know people commonly say, there is power in the ways of a king. Is that not true? Right. So kings have power and authority. But the priests they reconcile compassion, mercy, and what? And love. Now, you're looking at the people that have power and authority, but functioning with what? Compassion, mercy, and love. Yeah, they have authority. Now, let me explain something to you. Have you read the Bible and it talks about the throne of the Lamb? Have you read that? Book of Revelation? It talks about a Lamb on the throne or the throne of the Lamb. How can a Lamb have a throne? A lamb in the natural way of thinking is too weak to rule. It's a lion that's supposed to be on the throne. But the lion of the tribe of Judah is not on the throne. It's a lamb that is on the throne. Have you thought about that? Come on. Have you thought about that? You're looking at me. It's in your Bible. Is that not true? What you find on the throne is a lamb. Are you even thinking about it? The lamb on the throne, isn't it? How can a lamb be on the throne? It's a lion that's supposed to be on the throne. <laughs> you see that? That's a mystery of our religion. The power mixed with compassion, mercy, and what? Love. That is the new order. That is the priesthood order. <laughs> now, the function of the kingly authority is not to dominate over other men's lives. Well, the kings have authority and power. It's not meant to dominate other people's life, but to deal and break the power of selfhood and rebellion, sin, and the devil that men may be reconciled to God. Your authority is not to rule over people, but to rule over spirits in the life of people so that they can have liberty to meet with their God. That is the authority. Here. That is why people get it confused and say, we shall reign with Christ. And they think it's going to say, we shall smile the air with the rope. Then they think it's, you know, Power blow and all of that. Moses had a right. Never used to smite anybody. 
Hmm? Hallelujah. Are you following this? Are you catching this? Alright. So, the authority you have is to displace, if you will, the rebellion, the selfhood in yourself, in a man, the power of sin, the devil at work in people. See, Jesus simply summarizes when he says, if I cast out devil with the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. The rule of God has come unto you. That means he displayed a rule for God's rule to do what? To come in. And when God's rule comes in, what happens? That man becomes a I mean, he's been possessed by God. And you see, true liberty is you being possessed by God. And that is why the kingly grace in this Melchizedek order carries ability for you to break rebellion, disobedient, selfhood in the life of people. And free them to accept God as their Lord. And I'm going to make you understand something. God doesn't even rule sovereignly in the sense of subduing you against your will. God's rulership is when his own will becomes your will. I know what I'm talking about. now. Fine. It's not a question of giving you a knock on the head and you know, God is not ruling that way. What we say we're in the kingdom as we're going to explain, you find that We've come to a place where the will of God, the mind of God, the thought of God, the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God, the desires of God have become ours. Okay, let me explain now. So let's move on a little bit. Wow. Are you following? Okay. But once the reconciliation, like I said before, the authority, the power is to break, you know, that's the, the, the authority and the power of the king, destroy everything about selfhood and reconcile them unto who? Unto God. But once the reconciliation has taken place and Christ is enthroned in men's spirit, we deliver them to God and the Father that God may be all in all. You don't rule over people by continuously standing there and oppressing them with authority. Hallelujah. Can we turn to 1 Corinthians 15? Let's look at something. First Corinthians 15. Are you there? Okay, let's start reading from verse 25. First Corinthians 15, verse 25. For he with Christ must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. 26 says, The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he said all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted. That is God himself. When he put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him. That God may be what? God may be what? All in all. What I mean is, God will have expression through every man. So you see the power of Christ is not for him to stand there continually. I remember we said the order of what? Melchizedek. It's not to stand there continually in all ages to come. He subdues the enemies in man and gives that man over to God and God cannot find expression in that man that was so rebellious and disobedient before Christ came into his life. So true pastoral work is I get you out of wherever you are 
through the authority of the kingly anointing or grace, if you will, coupled with the mercies and the justice that flows through my life, I bring you out of wherever you are, get every rebellious spirit out of the life, I give you back to God and I step aside. That's what pastoral work is all about. That's what ministry is all about. That's what the new priesthood is all about. That is what the expansion of the kingdom of God is all about. Are you catching what I'm saying now? Now I do that for you and you do that for some other person as well. That is why you find that you can cast out devils. I was discussing a few weeks ago and I'm aware we have that meeting last week and I find a lady who was doing meetings in River State and she raised a dark person. A lady on mission just doing evangelism and somebody was dead and she happened to come in there and then lay hands and the dead man came up. Right. A woman. And, and I said, well, I thank God that you didn't go and pin a sample. I said, Minister of Raising the Dead. Or you do some CDs so that you can be selling and make some money. Thank God for that. The point is, Mark 16 is always going to be fulfilled if you truly believe. This sign shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devil, they shall raise the dead. Simple. It's not for the priest, it's not for the pastor, it's not for anybody. It's for the one that believed. That's it. It's for the one that believed. And I'll be shouting that to you. It's for you, it's not for me. That is your place as a believer. Hallelujah. So now what happened? When you do that, you cast out the devil from a man, that man comes to the place of freedom, and then you release the man unto who? Unto God. What you really come to church to do is to take instruction on how to function as a human being. Function as a believer. That is what church is all about. We just come to, to learn how to function, to hear God instruct us on how to function in our places of work. As we go into the street, in school, wherever. No matter your age, because like Master will say, there's no Gino Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost is Holy Ghost. It doesn't matter. Whether you are young or old, no Gino Holy Ghost, no Gino Holy Ghost. So it's expected that wherever you are, the Holy Ghost will also be at work through you, redeeming people, bringing them back to God, and allowing God to walk through their life, that they become instruments in the hands of God, tabernacle, dwell by God Himself. Hallelujah. Are you following? So, so that God may be only all. So like I said, for we are to subdue men to God. For him to rule in them. This is the power and the glory of the kingdom. In the kingdom, it is no longer God ruling over you by sovereignty. But the life, mind, heart, nature, power, wisdom, knowledge, and the will of God entering into you and becoming your very own reality. The kingdom of God, the rule of the kingdom, by God himself is when the mind of God, the heart of God, the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God, the thoughts of God begin to flow through you. Then God is ruling and what? Reigning. So sometimes when you take decision, ask yourself, is God going to think this way? Hallelujah. Could it be the mind of God? Because friend, understand this. Seek it for the kingdom of God. You know what I'm saying? We are God roots. We are God expressing his mind, his thoughts, his desires, his will, his purposes, his intents, his mind. The kingdom of God. Seek it first. So, situation has come before you. What do you do? You place the kingdom under the 
microscopic examination of the thoughts, the mind, the will, the knowledge, the wisdom, the intents of God, you begin to examine the situation as God will examine it. But again, think about it. It is not just you coming to the place of, okay, let me look at it now. No, it flows naturally because now God is passing through you. You, you, you don't have to expect somebody to tell you to be thirsty before you can become thirsty. It's natural. Am I talking? The blood flows in your system. It is natural for the blood to flow. Because the heart is pumping. Is that alright? It becomes a normal life for you to have and to walk in the mind, the will, the thoughts, and the knowledge and the wisdom of God. It becomes just a normal life. You are not going to any book to consult to find whether what you are thinking now is right or wrong. Oh, come on. Are you listening to me? You are about taking an action. You are not waiting to go and you, it just flow normally. God just comes in, walk through you and you can just act as God will act if God was physically present with you. That is a kingdom expression. That is a kingdom expansion. That is the new order that we are coming into. It has nothing whatsoever to do with making codes, reading books, reading laws, interpreting them in the light of, you know, constitution, maybe. <laughs> are you understanding what I'm saying? That's God's kingdom. The expression of the life of God. Revealing his nature, his power, his mind, his wisdom, his knowledge, and his will. At any point in time, Jesus will simply say, Thy will be done. That's bringing God's kingdom to bear on the earth. That will be done on earth as it is done in the realm of spirit. So God is looking for a people and God is really beginning to better people. Who will not only walk in the Melchizedek order, but who will also consciously know it. That they have to bring in a people and release these people to God for God to pass through them. You can continue to keep people in kind of a cage system that you may always be the only one. They can make dictates and make whatever. No, it's not like that. You must allow people to express themselves or God to express himself through them. That's our role. As Melchizedek order. Kings and priests of a new order. So it's not just a matter of tomorrow in the first place. It is even now. When this attribute begins to work in your members, you're already flowing in what? In the Melchizedek order. A man that has authority and power, but have come to the place where he administered his authority and power through compassion, mercy, and love. There is nothing wrong with being powerful or having power. It is how you use power that is either wrong or right. Power is good. Hallelujah. Authority is right. And of course, all these powers and authority are given to us by the Father. So that we can use them to expand the kingdom by bringing people unto him so that he can become God all and in all. In fact, if you don't allow people to come to that place, you are denying God his place in their life. Because God wants to express himself through them, but you are denying him his own right and privileges to be able to express himself in the midst of his own people which he has created for his own glory. Hallelujah. The Mercedes order the guiltless people. Guiltless in the sense that they no longer walk 
by natural laws, by natural codes, by natural rules, and the dictates of men. They are no longer men pleasers. They are guiltless in the eyes of God. But in the eyes of men, they are violators of the laws. Do you understand that? And that is why if you really come to that dimension of life, it's going to be very difficult for you to please so many people. Because people examine and look at you with the eyes of the law, but you are flowing the Melchizedek order, and then you are breaking the natural laws. So to them, you are not a conformist, just like it was. Look at your disciples here, eating corn on the Sabbath day. Somebody will always be there to talk to you. <laughs> because they will not understand. But the Bible says, though that are born of the Spirit, they are like the wind. The wind doesn't, you can't tell where it's coming from, where it's going to. Say, so are those that are born of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you come into a place where it's no longer you, but the Holy Spirit that is totally in charge, bringing forth the will, the mind, the thoughts, and the intents of God, that you may be an expression of those things in creation, and God himself flowing through you to reach to other people, reconciling them on a daily basis. Let not forget, whatever thing we ought to be doing, it should be centered on bringing reconciliation to mankind, so that God may be all and in all. God bless you.